How does one go about bringing life to the desert? The answer comes in two parts. The first part is persistence. The second part is a miracle. The survivors pressed on persistently, even as the air grew colder and they were forced to keep fires going all the night to stay one step ahead of frozen. During the days, they remained on their feet all the time, forcing blood to flow through limbs that strained against the shifting black sand dunes. Behind them lay ash heaps of abandoned hopes. Before them lay... nothing. Nothing was certain save uncertainty. And yet, they persisted. Entire days would pass without a single word spoken by two people to one another. Conversations were conducted entirely via raised eyebrows, shrugged shoulders, and lips that pursed tight or twisted into smirks. But often even this silent chatter was an extravagance that no one had a mind to pay for. The air was too raw, the winds too harsh, and altogether conversation of even the silent kind seemed the betrayal of the atmosphere that swirled about the survivors. The only true warmth came on those nights when the wind calmed enough that polite chatter could be heard and shared. Those nights, the survivors sat around their fires and traded stories. They told Black Sun stories, of course, about dangers escaped and terror outpaced. But there were Gold Sun stories, too. Stories of endless summer days and warm Christmas nights, of deep beds and lazy blue rivers. Efforts were made to explain concepts like malls and movie theaters to the younger set, those children who knew only the world of the black sun and the gray slate sky. The notions were too far beyond what such youth could contemplate. They could not hold the idea of such places within their heads. They could not conceive of that much life. Each day, the survivors struggled back to their feet, forcing the blood to flow, and walked on through those dunes made of black sand. There was nothing to see and nowhere to go except onward, towards a horizon that drew no closer and offered no absolution. There was nothing save for the desert, and the desert had no interest in life. And yet, the survivors provided all the persistence that they could muster. But even this would not have been enough to bring life to the desert. They also needed a miracle. How does one go about reminding people about what they are missing when they don't even know that something is lost? You do it with a story. Terry wasn't sure when he first became aware that the group, and specifically himself, 
was being followed, but once the pursuers had been noted, they could not then be forgotten. At first, Terry was on his guard, certain that the desert had conjured up some fresh fiend to pick off even more survivors. But no threat was ever offered. With his eyes that saw so much better in the dark, Terry eventually discerned that the watchful night was occupied not by new critters, but by the denizens of the forest. The children of the city beneath the black sun, rescued from that city and transformed by the new gods to live in their realms, only to be spat back into this blasted world when the gods themselves fell. They lived as beasts in the forest until the survivors arrived, until Terry appeared and awoke in them some lost memory of the lives they lived before this one. Terry, who himself had been reborn from man to monster and back again a time or two. Now it seemed that even Terry's departure from their domain was not enough to break the newfound bonds. Even so, Terry was wary at first. They may have been human once, and perhaps some piece of them sought to return to that state, but they were still more animal than anything else. They might just easily be chasing them with no more affection than the vulture feels for the staggering unfortunate it circles over. Terry was only convinced the children posed no danger when one night they stole past the watch and into the camp. Terry heard their arrival with his pointed ears and picked out their shapes with his sharper eyes. He could have leapt up and begun at once to tear them apart, but he held back compelled by an instinct he did not fully know. He watched as the children picked their way around the camp, some on many legs and some on none. Beast faces hovered over human ones. Clawed fingers played at straps and belts and fabrics. At the slightest stirring of just one sleeping form, the children scattered at once, some on many legs and some on none. That had, apparently, been enough studying for one night. For that, Terry realized, was what they had been doing. Studying. Studying humans. Trying to understand what they were and how they worked. Trying to remember what it was like to occupy such skin. An idea occurred to Terry. He dismissed it at once as being too crazy to ever consider, but that new instinct spoke up and urged him to continue. Maybe, maybe he could help them to remember. How? Was he gonna set up a school and start lectures on pants and skin and opposable thumbs? That wouldn't do it. But maybe. The idea occurred again, and did not care to be dismissed. Maybe, maybe he could tell them a story.
How does one go about telling a story? The common advice among writers is to always write what you know. Only, Terry didn't think he really knew enough about humanity, its positive aspects anyway, to tell any kind of story about it. He'd always felt outside of his own species, even before he left it. He didn't necessarily have the kind of perspective needed to remind these lost children of what had been, of who they were. Terry went a ways away from the camp and waited. Perhaps he was being silly and none would even come. They came. They came on many legs and on none. They came and when they saw that he did not flee, they left and came back with many more to witness whatever he had to offer. Terry found himself on top of a black sand dune, staring down at a plain filled with stillness and expectation, their eyes wide and their mouths shut. He had nothing to offer, no great secret truth. So instead, he gave them a story. It was a story about a place, a special place, a magical place, a place that could not exist and yet went right on existing, a place that was a light that shone even though all the world insisted that there could only be dark. The place he described was a hospital. Here was a place where savagery didn't get to triumph over reason where selfish survival could not trump the bonds of community and charity that humans invent and have become more real than anything else of substance and material. He was a place that was itself a miracle, and by its existence allowed for other miracles. A hospital. A hospital called St. Peter's. And although Terry had never allowed himself to take part in that place while it existed, he knew the comings and goings that made it feel alive. He could tell them about Priya Patel speeding through the city in her ambulance with the woman Cassandra in her passenger seat. About Dr. Andrews working to keep people alive despite their own best efforts, in spite her own doubts. About the families that sought safety there and the families that formed from sharing safety together. And he told them about the two gentlemen who started it all, Mr. Malcolm Mayhew and Mr. Oakes, whose first name no one seemed to know. The small and quiet Mr. Mayhew and the broad and loud Mr. Oakes, with his beard as red as fire. It had been an insane idea the absolute height of delusion to wake a hospital back up in those wild days of the untamed city. And the hospital indeed had not survived the city, nor had either of the gentlemen who dreamed it into being. Last Terry knew, both men were lost in a dark world beyond this one. Mr. Mayhew dead and vanished, and Mr. Oakes bent on finding him. But even the place was gone, the dream of it lived. Even the death of the dreamers could not destroy it. 
because the story kept going. All these survivors who pressed on in the absence of reason, but with the persistence of hope, all carried that story with them. They would be that light in a world that insisted there could only be darkness. They would believe in that dream until it was as real as any substance and material. They were themselves all miracles, and by their existence, they allowed for all the future miracles to come. Terry spoke until his mouth felt as dry as the black sand dune he preached from. He finally quit, more exhausted than he had ever been. He wasn't sure what response he expected, but the only one he got was the departure of his audience. So many legs, and some on none. When they were gone, only one figure remained. Mustafa crossed the black sand and embraced his son. After a moment, he asked how the story ended. Terry shrugged and said, I don't know. With the end, I guess. On this one front, Terry was wrong. How does a story begin? By being told. When does a story end? Only when there is no one left to tell it. The Lost had a story to tell now. They told it in their new languages, with words no human lips could shape. Old names spoken new, dead things alive once more. New stories that in their telling began to awaken old memories of life lived on two legs rather than many or none. The more they told the stories of that impossible place, the more possible it seemed. It was soon no longer enough to study the humans and wonder over their strangeness. The lost decided they were ready to be found. They left the wild and did not look back. Their fates and fortunes would go along with the other survivors. They took their stories with them and they believed. Believed hard enough that the stories climbed strength enough to crack the gray slate sky and climbed downward into another world, a world of endless dark. And in that dark place, the first and now last living god of the Save Me the Black Sun heard his name. Mr. Oaks perked up his ears and began to move towards the sound. Happy 2021, everybody. Uh, this is Brendan Foley, the writer, producer, and performer of Black Sun Dispatches. Uh, thank you for joining us for the latest episode. Sorry about the delay. Uh, this was actually supposed to be the Christmas episode, but uh, uh, life, the holidays, and uh, other things got in the way, so you're getting it uh, now. But I am sorry about the delay. Uh, hopefully there will not be uh, any more going forward as we head into... Uh, this stretch of the show. Uh, 
Blacks of Dispatches is part of the Cinepunks podcast network. Uh, so please check out all Cinepunks programming. Uh, and go to our website, cinepunks.com, which is uh, refurbished in the new year. It looks awesome. There is tons of great content to be found on the website, including not only all the podcasts, uh, but a huge amount of articles, including uh, a new interview, exclusive interview, with the director of Psycho Gorman, Gorman, Psycho Gorman, uh, from writer director Stephen Kostansky. Uh, so go right there and find out what the movie Psycho Gorman is. It's interesting. Uh, sponsorship for Cinepunks programming it includes Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. So hit up their website uh, for all your apparel creation needs. You can follow me on Twitter at the True Brand F, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show with updates and news and things like that. Uh, the Black Sun Dispatch logo was designed by uh, Jennifer Rogers, and the music is Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, so thanks everybody for listening to this episode, uh, and I will see you here. Uh, let's plan on uh, let's plan on having the next episode on the first of uh, March, which would be. March 1st. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I need to go to bed. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, enjoy this ep- I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoy the episodes to come. Uh, and everyone, please stay safe and healthy out there. All right. Bye.